y'all, welcome to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Vanessa's in Mississippi, so I get to do the intro. In this episode, I talk about my experience at Origins. We look at the game inspired by Assassin's Creed Orlog, compare Sakura Arms and Radlands, plus deep reviews on Gutenberg and Cat in the Box. Welcome to episode number 260-260, Lonely People, and I am one of those, Tony. And I am the other. Look at all the lonely people. Who sings that? America. America is one of those bands that, it's like, who sings that? And it's like one of those bands, it's always America. They have all these songs <laughs> I don't realize they did. Mm -hmm. Didn't they do the horse on a... Uh -uh. A horse, a horse with, with no, no name. name. I went to the desert on a horse with no name. Oh, and don't anybody auto-tune that crap. I know. You got to be careful what you do around here now, we find out, between yes. sending us stuff, which I'll get to in a second, and and, and singing. Uh, yeah, so it's one of those generic bands that it's like, oh, yeah, America did that. I don't know. Anyway. And I kind of get confused between America and bread. Oh, because they both come from about the same era, and it's that same style of, like, sappy pop music was it pop music in the 70s i don't know i, I don't well, i don't know what you would call it it wasn't it, rock it wasn't rock that's why i just called it pop kind of yeah. which i just use as generic you mm -hmm. know radio friendly top 40 hits back then it was like was it a top 40 song you know that sort of deal back when people used to listen to casey Kasem. do you remember how the radio that you could carry in your hand and you could flip it apart and look kind of like an inverted phone Oh, I don't know about that. It, oh, what were the uh, things called? Somebody quick I'll, in our Discord channel, be sure to let me know what it was. It was, it would break apart and you would tune it inside and then you'd fold it back and you were able to carry it around. It was like a very early bad edition of a boom box. Whew, I don't remember that at all. Hey, you mentioned our Discord channel. You know, you can go to our website, rolledicetechnames.com and join our Discord channel right there. And you can mention, and you can talk all about recent food, fitness. We are all over the board we got some lawn mowing talk going on we had a discussion i still haven't put together the flow chart on lawnmowers and how to buy them but i will get to that i, I promise i will i'll have a flow chart on that and, and speaking of food and stuff so in our last episode uh we had a taste buds uh where we tried fried crickets right a mm -hmm, bunch of awesome studs yeah and uh and then we had a live show where we did durian which we'll touch on in just a second so tony i was at origins last week when I came back home, there was an Amazon package oh, no. sitting on not the desk. Another, not another one. I said, I don't remember or anything from Amazon. So I opened it up. This is the first time Tony is seeing this. I'm just going to hold this up to the camera. Tony, please, why don't you read uh, what is on this bag? Ooh, Jungle Trail Mix. A selection of three crawly, salted, and dehydrated bugs. A dung beetle, a roach, and a scorpion. Why? <laughs> Dude, I'm like, okay, I don't know who sent this. So whoever sent this, go ahead and add, claim this now. I'll probably post this a little bit, maybe on social media, and someone will have claimed it. Y'all, come on. Can, we did the bug thing. Can we move past Can them? we not try some bizarre desserts or unique something instead of having to try a giant water scorpion, hmm. a diving beetle, you said dung beetle is diving. Dung. I know it's hard to read on the camera. Or an armor tail scorpion. I look at it like this. If we were ever left with bare gills out there in survival mode, 
we would know what to eat. I thought you said Bear Gills. You said Bear Gillis. Yeah, okay. Yeah, except the problem is th- these will be these will be crunchy, and uh, I assume there won't be hardly anything to this, and it'll be kind of like the the fried crickets. But I'll just be saying that we've tried beetles and two different types of scorpions. Well, scorpions are. I mean, you can see scorpions on a kebab skewer all That's over true. the place. That's true. I, I mean, maybe there's some meat to them besides a hard husk that's been cooked. Anyway, we got two bags of this. I will be bringing that to you this week and uh, Joy. maybe next episode. Other than that, unfortunately, we don't have a taste buds segment this episode. I did see in our Discord channel where somebody has found the elusive grape Pop-Tarts. and Yes, I'm, and it was in North Carolina. I know. I'm on the hunt. I'm looking. It's the grape Pop-Tart, y'all. The return of the grape Pop-Tart, my all-time favorite. Why doesn't somebody send us that instead of bugs? And we have a request out here, people, looking because. for grape Pop-Tarts, and we end up with scorpions. It is what it is. Ignacy warned us on the last episode, and once again, a big thank you to Ignacy for coming on and tolerating us in the morning. He's He just shook his head. He's like, you, you are what you are. we're like yep you get you get what you pay for ignacy here it is oh yeah yeah people are already talking at the origins that i ran into and it's like you know i need to send you some stuff or bring you some stuff to gen con it's like no no you don't unless it's something something really cool we need to we need to twist the narrative here y'all it doesn't need to be gross disgusting stuff unique how about that unique flavorful Flavorful. So I went to uh, Gen Con. Uh, wow, I went to Origins last mm-hmm. week, and one of the things we did there, we mentioned our Discord channel, is I just threw out on there, does anybody want to go to a Brazilian steakhouse in Columbus? And we had about ten or so people from our Discord channel chime in and say, I would love to. I said, Well, sweet. So let me do this. I made a reservation for twenty people, and along the way, I started inviting a few other people, like I invited uh, designer David Thompson, you know, who did Un- Uncharted, Undaunted, Uncharted. <laughs> wow, Marty. There's too many uns. There's mm-hmm. too many un games right now. Uh, Undaunted. And uh, I invited Clay Ross from Capstone Games and Justin from Restoration Games. A couple Twitch streamers, Amanda Panda uh, and Benita joined us. And uh, Danielle Stranding, you know, who does our uh, the portal, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the portal stuff and has her own uh, TikTok channel. Uh, yeah, TikTok channel? TikTok account where she does a lot of different things. Uh, Matt Falusi, who's, who's also in the business of Skybound, Skybound Games. And I, I shoot, I'm, I'm going to run down through the list. And I'm probably going to forget somebody. David Waybright and his wife from Man vs. Meeple was there. Um, and, if, and if I left somebody else, I, I'm sorry. But it was so great to get all those people there. It was funny as I was walking there, Tony. I was walking with a group of, uh, of people. We we're going to meet there at 7. And along the way, Justin sent me a message going, dude, I don't, I don't feel good. So I'm going to skip. I went, Oh, okay. 30 seconds later, Clay Rawls sent a message going, Oh, you know, I'm just exhausted. I can't make tonight. So I get there going, okay, there's not going to be anybody here, but I turned the corner table was full of discord people. So many people from my discord channel that it was great to see. Some of them I had already met before, you know, like the Detmers, some, um, and, and Chris and Angel, some meeting for the first time, like Tyler and, and Mundane. So it, it was a great uh, to see these people face-to-face uh, for the first time. And we ended up with really 20 there. So we maxed out the place. And Tony, Brazilian steakhouses are good, man. Wait till they put uh, fried scorpion on the menu. Oh, my Lord. C- can I introduce you to fried scorpion? No. No. Done that. But it was a great time just hanging out, eating the meats, 
Some people got dessert. I didn't order dessert, but ended up scarfing everybody else's. So I said, I don't want any dessert. And people get cheesecake. It's like, I don't want to finish this. Marty, you want to finish it? You sure? I'll finish it. Marty, I, I don't want this uh, this thing over here. You want to try? Sure, I'll eat it. So I think I had more than one dessert from just scarfing off everybody else. I was, it ended up being pretty tacky of me. I'm sorry, y'all. Oh, man, that is just going way past comfort level right there. All the share. Never mind. We won't go there. No, I can't see you now. I'm going to have to. You might have brought something home, some type of con crud. Oh, my Lord. I didn't say anything else. I said con crud, which is, you know, a true thing. Oh, it is. It is. But you know what? I feel great. feel great. Well, I'm glad you were able to see the Discord fans and you went to one of your favorite places to go get your meat sweats on. Mm -hmm. And um, I saw there was a picture. I was just trying to find it to look at who all those people were. I can't remember if you posted it on Twitter or where you did that. Uh, Instagram. Oh, 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 you you were on the Insta. Okay. Instagram You're getting all fancy Twitter? on me. Maybe I did both. I can't remember. I it's, a, so it's an age thing. It's an age it, thing. It, it is. I don't remember which one it was on. But yeah, we got some uh, great pictures. And it was great meeting some people. There. Like Amanda Panda and Benita meeting them in real life for the first time. Just uh, wonderful Twitch streamers. Uh, if you aren't following them on Twitch, do so. That's the new medium, Tony. I was talking to them. I said 10 years ago, Twitch wasn't even a thing. And the new guard is coming to the board game space and kind of like, okay, Twitch, we're going to make a thing here where we play games live so people can see them live. It's a whole new medium. And it's great to see uh, them coming here. And a very, still a burgeoning space, the board game space on Twitter, and them taking the reins and just turning into something really big. And he meant Twitch. So don't be sending a $5 claim. What did I say? That. You said Twitter. Twitter. Twitch. Sorry. Yeah. Yes. Which, I, okay, I got something here. When I make fun of stuff, like someone called me out, and I appreciate this um, for doing that, about, you know, Phil the Sheep called me out about saying carbon copied. I'm making fun of stuff. I'm not making a mistake. And I know that's hard to understand with me when I make a mistake and I make fun of various things. So keep that in mind. You may not get your $5 if I'm making fun of stuff. I will own up to a mistake. We actually had to have to give away $5 in quite a while. No, while you were away, uh, we Uh-oh. do. We, I, I got to get into the vault. I did make a $5 mistake. So you what did we that screw up. up on? It wasn't you. It was me. It's over in our Discord channel. Ken posted it on something I've messed up on. Oh, oh, I was talking about the, he was, I thought that there was a time on the Empire Strikes Back where all the uh, bounty hunters we're standing there and it was right. And it was the statement about villainous and all that. Yeah. Actually treachery and villains or something like that. But that was from the original star Wars. And it's when they're going into Mo Isley, Moss Isley, that one too. And Obi-Wan says, uh, uh, whatever. Yeah. Okay. I know, I know what you're referring to. Yes. That is worth $5. Cause I felt it was in, I thought it was the same scene also. I wonder what he says there. Uh, we can pull it up. And it's not worth my time. Oh, one more faint thing before we leave the meetup. And I think you did this too, Tony. Did you take Durian to game night? I did. And I took Durian to the meetup. Yes. And it was the it was not the freeze dried, it was the wafers, which that's the, wafers. the one that mm-hmm. was disgusted me. I got like four or five people to try it, and most of them were like, Well, it's not good, but I'm I don't want any more, but it doesn't make me sick. And I believe it was Tyler that basically took the bag with him home. He was just sitting there eating a man. So it's me, y'all. I was the one that had the big negative reaction to the wafers because nobody else seemed to. It's not like they really liked it, but none of them had an issue with it. But I think you had more on the texture, not so much the taste, wasn't it? 
maybe it was that burst of really bad flavor in that mushy creamy stuff. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So my son in my future son-in-law saw the bag in the pantry and he reaches in, grabs it and he starts popping them. I'm like, what are you save some? I got to take those to game night, but what are you doing? And he's like, man, you know, my mom's tight. She had this, she had the fresh stuff floating around. And I've talked about that. There's nothing to this. And I said, well, more power to you. Just make sure you leave me some to take to game night. So I, I did. I took it to game night and our game buddy, Bert, said, well, my, my kids won't see me eat this stuff. So I filmed him eating it and he made a, scr- a scrunchy face. Ah, He didn't really like it that much. He wasn't a fan of it. It wasn't like sitting on McAllister's. We were having that for dessert instead of cookie. Matter of fact, it was pretty much he had his one. Uh, Noah my and my son-in-law, or Seal, I guess I can call him that now, future son-in-law, he had a few more, but then after that, put it in the game bag and stuck it in my car. Point of clarification, point of order, point of order. So when it's hot outside uh-huh. and you get home from game night, yeah, it's very important. Normally, I don't unload my games. Normally, I just sure. leave them in the car because I get home. Yeah, me too. Just don't, because who knows? I may be called to a game or something like that. Who knows? I need to be prepared. But I forgot that the durian was in that bag. Mm-mm. Next morning, I went out to my car. Wasn't sealed tight? Well, the the one, the dried, the dried yeah. was, was never sealed. Uh oh. My car smelled like poo poo. <laughs> I had the 460 air conditioning going, four windows down, 60 miles per hour, baby. <laughs> to clean out that car and i know i was in a 35 zone but i didn't care i had to get that smell out oh man i was like this is awful but i will say this the dogs did try a little bit and they were okay with it so that's it can we put durian to bed we yes i'm, I'm done with it i don't need to unless i get a unless i get a fresh one and i put on a nose i'll try a fresh one but that's i will about too it. but please, don't send us that now please give us a break give us something that's tasty uh, all right. So you were again, went to game night. Did you play anything cool? We, we went there when you were missed. And one of the items, and so first off, Kevin Barrett, a friend of ours, listener of the show, he showed up. He he was happy to come in. Substitute, really appreciate Kevin ta- taking in time and coming out. And then, of course, Kevin, I'm, who just recently supported us on buymeamoonpie.com. So thank you, Kevin, for supporting the show. And in fact, if you want to support the show, Just head over to buymeamoonpie.com. We have both subscription-based, where you can do a reoccurring of one, five, or ten dollars per month. Uh, We have just a uh, one-time gift that you can give the show if you want to. And that's where we're selling our tickets for our big Gen Con strike event. And we still have a lot of tickets left, so head over there and grab one. And this goes to supporting the show in various ways, helping us pay for uh, the server uh, support for the streams and everything like that. A lot of it is used basically for keeping the show up and running technical stuff, website websites and everything like that. So, uh, we greatly uh, appreciate all that. And Kevin just recently did that. So thank you, Kevin. By mouthwash. Cause I gotta eat bugs. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Buy those little, uh, the little toothpicks with yeah. the little flossing things, yeah. <laughs> so you can get the little arms and legs out of your teeth. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, so Kevin showed up, and then I even, 
goodness out of my heart, I invited this, the future son-in-law to come mm-hmm. with and thinking, oh, he's not going to come. He's not going to want to hang out with a bunch of old farts. He said he would love to. Wow. I know. Sucking and up to the father-in-law. I know. I said, okay, well, very good. So we need, we need a fire player because we've got Mark, Bert, me, Kevin, and Noah coming to this. And we got to, so we get there. Everything's going good. Uh, we're going to play Wingspan Oceanic Expansion. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I, f- I forgot you recently got that. I recently got that. You know, Stonemeyer Wingspan, the the bell of the ball. She, it was the game, everybody. And just all fairness, Wingspan is a great little engine builder. And I think it's one of the ones that you should be um, using to help teach people engine building games. I think it's one of those that, um, you know, I was just watching some how to play videos on especially the oceanic, what was different from it. And I'll quickly go over that one. They've introduced a wild food called nectar. They've given you the capability. They've of course got more birds in it. You got all kinds of birds coming at you. And then they've added, of course, additional ways to score additional bonuses. And they've given you new play mats um, to, so that when you use nectar to do something, it's a in-game scoring mechanism as well. So those are the key differences with Oceanic. And we just talked about, you know, Outer Rim. I didn't say Outer Rims, uh, Outer Rim, and the expansion, how we would not play that game without it, or Lost Ruins of Arnak, and we would not play it without it. So here's the thing with Oceanic. And, of course, all wingspans. There are so many freaking birds in the original. Mm-hmm. I don't see how you get those expansions in there if you mix it all together. I mean, that's what's incredible to me about that game is that they've put packed so much in the base game that when you add those expansion birds, you might see them, you may not. We decided not to use the original cards. We decided that we would only use the expansion cards so that we could experience the games because there were some new game mechanics at the end of game mechanics that we could use. And I, I just said, let's experience that. So we, we, we just ran with the expansion and the game went well. As far as expansions go, I would use that expansion with any time I would play Wingspan because of the nectar. The issue that would probably, it's not an issue. It's just, you may not get to those specific Wingspan cards when you add them okay, with the, yep. other, the other ones. And, yep. and I think I think you lose there. So maybe I would put it with the other expansion. Oh, I, and I just blanked on it. Put those two expansions and keep the base cards aside. I don't know. I'm sure it would work great. So I was very excited, very happy to get Wingspan back on the table because it is. It is a great engine building little game. Fast teach, uh, the various mechanics to it. Um, still, one, still one of my favorites, still one of Donna's favorites. So we got that one on the table. So back to you, sir. You're at Origins, great food, great people, but I'm sure you might have played a game. Yes. David Waybright from Man vs. Meeple got a copy of Wormholes from AEG, a brand new game that's just coming out from them. This is a very simple, light-ish pickup and deliver game. So imagine you're out in space, you got a bunch of planets, and you're trying to deliver particular goods to certain planets. So what's unique about this is you can create wormholes. Each of you can create five wormholes where I can drop a disc, like disc number one, move to a location when I drop another disc that the other number one disc, it opens up a wormhole so I can jump directly between those two points to make travel quicker. So all of you are expanding out over the map, uh, dropping these pairs of wormholes. 
collecting cards that you need to get to another planet to uh, deliver goods. And as you deliver goods, they're going to generate victory points. So early on in the game, it's kind of slow because you can't move that far. And you're just trying to establish this network of wormholes or around the board. But towards the end of the game, I didn't mention this, but you can use other people's wormholes. When you do, they get one of your points or they get a point for using. So you want to try to use your own, but if you're getting a crunch, you can use one of theirs in order to jump across the map because that doesn't cost a move to use a wormhole. You got a limited number of uh, moves that you can make, spots you can move. So within the game, like David Waybright was doing some really sweet combos of going to this one planet, picking up, jumping in a wormhole, jumping in another wormhole, jumping in another wormhole, out of another planet, dropping off something. So at the end of the game, it kind of got really crazy and chaotic. It's almost like a pickup and deliver engine builder. If you can see the path, and get everything worked out correctly, you can have these really rewarding turns. Wormhole is kind of slow at the beginning, but by the end of the game, you can have some really cool, fun terms of the whole pickup and deliver. Again, very light game. This is one of those, if you don't play a lot of pickup and deliver games and want one to kind of uh, get into and it's easy to pick up, Wormhole with some ABG is a good one. Ooh, that does sound pretty good, especially uh, the, the chaining, you know, getting the chain going. Yep. Being able to see that. You didn't get spliced or anything like that, jumping from wormholes or anything Thank like that. Thank goodness, no. They uh, The wormhole technology was solid and robust. So everybody who started with two arms, two legs, two eyes ended up on the other side the same way. So I know that you got to also, your roommate was Justin from Restoration, from Restoration Games. Games mm-hmm. Yes. Other than setting up his booth, anything there that I need to be aware of? Somebody was telling me they're talking about, I mean, it was mentioned at our game night that they're talking about Dark Tower 2? What? Huh? Yes. I got to see how some of the sausage was made on some upcoming things. There is going to be another Dark Tower Kickstarter with like an expansion. Rob Davio was in for a couple days and they were in the, our room uh, playtesting it one night. I, I skipped that part. Dang it. I don't know what I can say. No, I don't, 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 don't. Much, hold on. I don't know much about that expansion, so I can't say much there except yes, it was really cool to see them just with paper. They've written out testing with the app and everything and testing the expansions. So yes, that's coming out. There is a new version of Unmatched coming out that I did sit down and play test and I am pretty excited about, and it's going to be. Now that I've said that, I need to reach out to Justin (laughs) and see if that can be said. So if you just hear a little bit of static before this, he said, no, we can't say anything about that yet. (laughs) So I apologize. And if that's the case, something cool is coming for a match. So pay attention. I didn't mean to put you on it. I do know about the Dark Tower because it was as because Bert said, hey, guess what? They talked about a new Kickstarter. So obviously that was in the wind. Mm -hmm. I'm excited now that you're back. I know that in a couple of weeks that you and I have a big war game day planned. Maybe we'll see. Oh yeah. We're, we're hoping we're, we're going to try to make this work out. So I needed to learn a game. The son-in-law is going into Jag. And so he saw sitting on the bed, he was studying for the law bar and he comes in to me, he goes, what is this? And I go, well, it's a board game. And he goes, I know that because he's learning to that. I'm sarcastic. And I said, it's uh, a game by GMT called Hitler's Reich. And he said, well, I want to play this. And I said, well, so wow. do I. Wow. I not, not many people just pick up a game from GMT and say, I want to play that. Well, he's never, he doesn't know what it means. He doesn't know GMT, what that means. Oh, you know? okay. But still, I mean, when you look, I'm looking at the box now for Hitler's Reich. It's not one of those things that you would pick up an off the shelf and say, I need to play this. All right. But he's going army. 
and he's very interested in the in the time period. Got it. Okay. And so he's thinking military combat, you know, I'm going to military, all this good stuff. And I said, I, I would too. I've never played it. So let me watch a video. Let me read some rules. And y- you watch the video too, and we'll play it. Oh my gosh, it was a slog. Oh no. And it's not because, I'm not saying the game's bad, because the game is very streamlined. Okay. okay. It's, re- it's real simple. Real simple actions, real simple results. Things are done, but I didn't go to the GMT website and find the second edition rule book. Uh-oh. So you got the first edition rule book. Okay. And there's some changes that were, that would help. Ah, uh, okay. So, and the other thing that I've, that you get to experience if we have this great war game day is that you get to experience all these finer technical rules that aren't on the board anywhere, but they're in the rule book. And so as you're trying to go through this thing, I, I got to experience for the first time. I discovered for the first time, oh, wait, if this happens, then this can't happen. It's in the rule book. And it's a typical GMT style game. So here you okay. are, like, like at the end of 1941, if the Axis have not invaded or used oper- uh, one of their operations to invade Russia then they can't do it anymore. It's a special operation they can take that gives them capabilities. But if they don't, then it's off the board. And now Russia is now able to enter World War II. Because okay. if you remember, Hitler invades Russia, but he had a pact prior to that invasion. Right. So, so you, my friend, are going to get to experience a better streamlined teach to it. We played for three and a half hours and didn't accomplish squat. How long is the game supposed to be? If you read the box, it's two hours. Okay. And it's, once again, it is a rule thing. It is knowing every, okay, what does this mean? What happens when this happens? And just like, you know, Twilight Struggle, where you have, it's all, it's based on the same, the cards, where you say, okay, play this event card. Just just like that, where you play this event card. And you're having to read a deck of 30 cards. So you know what's coming up. Like you have various generals. I had General Patton. What does General Patton let me do? What does this guy let me do? What does uh, Montgomery uh, let me do? How does this come into play? And he's over there reading Rommel. And it's like, okay, you got to read through all these cards. So it's not that the gameplay took long. It was understanding all the text. Got it. I'm excited for it. He wants to play it again. So that should say something. He wants to play it again because he feels like he was getting ready to understand it. And then it was dinner time. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I know. You you know, it was a flyer. It looked good to me. It looked good at Miniature Market. That's miniaturemarket.com. Speaking of heavy. So I demoed or played a round of the brand new game coming out from Stefan Feld and Queen Games. This is on their Kickstarter. uh, Marrakesh. Uh, there's two copies in the world. One of them was there at Origins. Travis from Queen Games said, hey, you want to sit down and see how this is played? Whoo. You know how <laughs> complicated Trajan can be? I've never played it. Oh, you never played Trajan. Oh, boy. Okay. It's one of the more complicated fail games. It's one of those to where there's like six different things you can do on the board and on your turn, it's like, I don't know which one of these six I should do to start this game. Mm-hmm. And that's what you kind of feel with here. At the very beginning, you have all these little colored hexes or hex pieces. You pick three of them. All of you pull those together, drop them into a tower. 
And then you draft those to put on your board, which enhances the section of the board for that particular color of hex piece. Each action selection is a particular color. So the blue piece goes in the blue section and stuff. And then you have three workers that you assign. And when you draft your three colors, that's where your three workers go. So that's the actions you activate that turn. And I know wow. that is out there, but that is that is pretty much it. And then it's the standard failed stuff. It's a, it's a lot of getting resources, moving up tracks. If you move up tracks, you kick in bonuses. You try to get, you know, in scoring games, all that stuff's going on. But it's that action selection that's really wild of, well, I'm going to pick what three actions I want to activate. And then we're going to draft these pieces back, which might make these actions better. Or I might not even get that same color and that action won't be as good to activate as what I was wanting it to do. So anyway, that's going to be coming out later this year. Marrakesh, one of the heavier games from Failed. If you like Stefan Failed and you're ready for your mind to be blown, for sure check this one out because it's uh, it's a big boy too. It's the bit The player boards are super nice. It's the dual layered boards where you take the little hex wooden pieces and they inset in. It's just, just really nice. Uh, top production. Queen Games always does top not production. So yeah, Marrakesh should be coming out later. So new heavy failed. You know, I'm I'm ready for a heavy failed. Really? I'll take it. When's the last heavy failed you played? I don't know. Let's I don't do a good job tracking my stats, so I have no idea. Remember the last big fail that we played. We played some of his lighter stuff, like yeah. Coca-Pello. Co- yeah. Coca-Pello. That one we really liked from mm-hmm. him, but that's extremely light compared to this. Now on the flip side of that, Eagle Griffin Games. It's coming out with a game called Bot Factory, which is a streamlined version of Kanban, and I love Kanban. So Vitello is there just coming out with a streamlined version, which only plays in 90 minutes, but has a lot of the same mechanisms of Kanban where you're going through a factory trying to build uh, robots. And Sandra, the manager, is back. She was in the original Kanban. Looks like she's got a new job putting bots together. So she's back. So that's going to be coming out on Kickstarter soon. But I saw the box and it looks really cool. So I can't wait for that because I love me some Kanban. But it's just so long to get to the table and it's a tough teach. Yeah. And it's a game I've never gotten to play either. Dang. I know. It's a tough teach. You told me that. I'd say, you want to play Kanban? You say, no. By the time I teach you, you'd be going over there looking at the board games or you'd be breaking your ultra switch. You got the attention span of a squirrel. I'm like, oh, no, I, I'll, I'll own that. I'm fine with that. You did miss another one at game night called First Rat, a package spiel game. Ignacy played this. He did. Yep. I saw him showing pictures of him playing it. Yep. It is definitely family friendly. Mm, okay. okay. The concept is very easy from the standpoint of what you need to do on your turn. You need to move some rats. And when you move a rat, if you move only one rat, he can go wherever he wants unless he runs into it and stops with another rat. Well, he can move up to five spaces. But if he does, he's got to give some cheese to his brother there that's sitting there. If you move two rats, they can move up to three spaces each. They must land on the same color. That's, that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're trying to collect some stuff so that you can build your rocket ship so you and your rats can go to the moon. And person who scores the most points at the end wins. That's first rat. So Bert killed us oh. when we played this. He absolutely destroyed us. And we think it was because he was he got an additional rat out. So we started thinking, you know, does this mean that you need to get your rats out sooner? Additional workers. You got okay. you need additional workers. But it's more of a challenge to try to manipulate the moves. 
Also, we did not play the variable board. So it's one of these games I would like to get back to the table with you, use the variable setup, and see how it plays. And also kind of stress, don't sit here and think that you can just play this game with your beginning two rats. Mm. It's not hard to teach. So I should be able to teach it to you in like 10 minutes. Now the scoring at the end is a different story, but who cares who wins? Just have fun, play the game. With every convention I go to, and especially if David Waybright's there, we're going to play Don't Mess With Cthulhu. So we got that out of the table. Again, amazing game at four, but we played a game with the full table and it was, it was so... It's one of those memorable experiences to where uh, David's wife, Alicia, made a bold play, a bold play where she claimed to be one of the cultists, and she wasn't. She claimed to be a cultist because David just claimed to be a cultist, and she was trying to convince the other person that she was actually a cultist also uh, to help them out. One person was kind of revealed as a cultist because we saw all their cards and they said they had one elder sign and they really didn't. So, well, you're obviously a cultist. And they said, oh, I'm a cultist too. Let's work together. Alicia goes, no, 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 no. I'm a cultist. Let's work together. And eventually Alicia convinced her that uh, she was the cultist. And so then on our next round, Alicia said, guess what? I am not the cultist. And Dave was like, I told you she wasn't. Come to find out, I was the other cultist. Mm. And I had the Cthulhu card to where if that card is found, the game immediately ends and and the cultist wins. So I said, wait a minute, you're not a cultist? And she went, no. He said, well, cool. I said, I've only got three cards left here and one of those is the elder sign. I she went, sweet. So she came to me and flipped over a card. It wasn't the elder sign or the cultist. And I went, oh, I forgot to tell you. I'm the cultist. And David starts just dying laughing. I said, because David didn't know it either. I said, David. You just come back to me, man, because one of these other two cards is the cultist. So I gave him the the ladder to pick. He can it back to me, flips over the uh, Cthulhu, and we win the game. But it was one of the boldest moves I've ever seen. And don't mess with Cthulhu, which what makes that such a great deduction game is the stories that it creates. No player elimination. It actually plays best with four players. If you haven't checked out Don't Mess With Cthulhu from Indie Cards and Boards, go get it. So good. I haven't played that in forever. So what you were just talking about, it flew over my head. It's just the story of this really bold move. And to be honest with you, her bold move would have totally paid off if I hadn't have got lucky and been dealt the one Cthulhu card in the game. Because mm, okay. otherwise it would not have worked at all and they would have done a fantastic job. So anyway, that, that was super memorable. There were two hot games at the con. Uh, one of them was Green Team Wins, which is a party game from 21st, 25th century, sold out. I bought a copy. It's kind of like the inverse of just one. Plays hmm. up to 12, 12 people. It's one of those where the rules are so simple, you think, why didn't I think of that? Mm-hmm. There's three different types of questions. There's a multiple choice, A, B, and C. There's a this or that where you pick one or the other. And then there's like something blank, like blank room. So what you do is you like put down that one that says blank, blank room. Everybody writes what they would want to fill in for that blank bathroom, bedroom, whatever. Everybody reveals their answer. Whatever the majority answer is, is the right answer. And you go on to the green team. Everybody starts on the orange team. And once you get a correct answer, you go to the green team and you get a point. If you are on the green team and you stay on the green team, you get two points. And that's it. You flip over a card. You write an answer. You hope you're in the majority. Person with the most points wins. All right. So, you know, I enjoy doing the cruise scene because just it's just easy on me. 
this is one of the trivia nights. Easily. When we go do trivia, it's always majority wins trivia. And they ask a question. There is no right answer. Mm -hmm. It's just everybody writes down an answer and whichever answer is the most becomes the winner. Like, you know, let's do something stupid. Like which actor has the best teeth? And everybody yep. writes down that answer. And that, sound, that sounds kind of like, that's interesting. I like that. 100% it. It is super simple. They sold out. It was the game of the con. Everybody was playing it. The fact it supports up to 12 players is good. And then afterwards, everybody says, why did you answer? Like one of the questions was, we had a long discussion on this. I'm now asking you, what's the answer? What flavor is green? Lime, watermelon, apple. Uh, for me, it's lime. That was the majority answer, and I said apple. Because every time I see sour apple, it's always green, and that's what first came to my mind. Okay, that's fair. Jolly Ranchers, mm -hmm. green. I can see that. But see, the first thing that comes to my mind is Skittles. Ah, got it. Yep. So, yep. so lime is, is the answer for me. So if you had that same question, you would have the same answers again. Yeah, but it is a big stack of questions. Big stack. Big stack. He's holding up his hands about three feet apart. Yeah. And uh, also, as a promo they gave out there, they have a board game stack. Oh, cool. Uh, which is like one of them was this or that, Euro or Ameritrash. Mm, okay. Anyway, uh, that is uh, Green Team Wins, uh, 25th Century Games. Be looking for it. The other hot game that we're getting ready to talk about is a brand new game from Bezier Games, an amazing trick-taking game that I got to play at... Fun K-Town earlier this year in the spring when they went to, had a prototype, a game that started out in Japan that's now over here is going to be released at Gen Con, but they had early copies of Origins, and that is Cat in the Box. All right, we finished last two weeks ago whenever we did our first big Ultra Pro spot, and they didn't pull the plug. That's a positive. So we got to do another one. And I'm happy to do another one for Ultra Pro because they have got some really cool stuff out there if you go over to ultrapro.com and just take a look at some of their stuff. One of the big ones, and you'll be hearing about this from another one of our sponsors, the Commander Legends Dungeons & Dragons Battle for Baldur's Gate. Now, Marty can go on and on and on about that. I'm just saying it's out there. It's released. Ultra Pro, if, if you're into this Commander deck and you've heard us talk about it on the show... I need to play it more or pick one and enjoy it so that I can appreciate it. I know that. I realize that. This is on me, not on them. And obviously, it's very popular because a lot of people are buying this stuff. And I understand. And then, of course, they have all these really cool dice. We mentioned some of their highlighted colors. They got all kinds of colors. We, we were kidding about the, the lemon yellow and all that. But they've got colors galore over there. If there's a particular color you like. Go check it out at Ultra Pro, and don't forget about all their games. Father's Day, it's happened. If you didn't get Dad a gift, head over to Ultra Pro where you can get Dad Joke. Who doesn't love a good Dad Joke? I think a, a year ago or two years ago, we did a Dad Joke contest. We may have to go back and retro that. And that I don't know. Anyway, Dad Joke, check it out over at Ultra Pro. Plenty of play mats. Plenty of top loader stuff to protect your um, baseball cards, your comic books. They got it all. Thank you, Ultra Pro, for sponsoring Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Marty, I hope I didn't lose them with that one.
This following review is sponsored by Game Toppers. Upgrade your gaming experience. Head over to GameToppersLLC.com. So as I mentioned, one of the hot games at Origins was Cat in the Box. Now, Tony, I don't know if you've heard about this. This is a very popular game that actually is uh, from Japan. It's from designer Munoyuki Yokouchi. And Bezier Games has brought this game uh, to the States from Japan. Tony, you and I have loved trick-taking games since forever? I mean, you probably played Rook as a kid, right? Oh, uh, Rook, yeah, Hearts, you name it, all kinds of spades. But in our, you know, at TantrumCom, obviously we were rusty, but that's another story on another show. Yeah, uh, 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 speaking of which, uh, Travis from Queen Games said, uh, by the way, Rob and I are ready to uh, do another spades match at Gen Con if you guys are up for it. Oh, well, we are so up for it. I have got the Origins cards ready to go. They're sitting on my dresser, so I know to pack them. <clears throat> Vintage cards, and we're ready to go. I, I may even bring in the 1950 set I have. Can we practice first? Because <laughs> I was extremely rusty with bidding and everything. All right, so you and I love trick-taking games, and over our course of the past 10 years in this podcast, anytime a trick-taking game comes out, we're very interested in it. But after a while, they get kind of samey. So this game is a trick-taking game, plays two to five players, and the most unique thing about it is when it was pitched to me, and I actually got to play this at uh, Fun K-Town over the spring. Bezier Games is one of the sponsors there, and I got to see a prototype of this game before it came out of Origins. They said, imagine a trick-taking game where there's no suits. And I went, how is that even possible? And then I sit down and play the game. And I went, wow, this is one of the most unique trick-taking games I've ever seen. The game pissed me off. There, <laughs> it's on the table. The reason why it pissed you off has nothing to do with the really cool stuff about it. <laughs> I, I agree. I agree with you on that. It's from the standpoint that when you play trick-taking games, you have a certain style, a certain strategy that you always know. You know how to short suit. You know how to pick your cards. So when you told me there are no suits, I understand that. I can understand how that would flow. But then all my strategies out the window, I've got to rethink all that. And I'm sorry, that is muscle memory for me. Especially when you got to do bidding, right? I mean, oh, yeah. You've, you've been trained for decades that when you look at your hand, you know how to bid. This game throws that out the window. It does, because I don't know what to count on. Mm -hmm. I can force certain things to be counted. And I know you'll go over some of the aspects of how to play the game, but I'm looking at my hand. I'm like, oh, I know I've got X amount of Trump. I know I've got this high suit. I know I'm going to be able to do this. Trick bidding, unless you're playing spades with Rob and Travis, isn't that hard to do. <laughs> All right, so let's lay out what this game is. So this uh, deck consists, deck of cards consists of Five sets of one through nine cards. They're just black border or black cards. Uh, they all look exactly the same. Okay, well, some of the cat art in the middle is kind of different, but there's no colors on them. They're all black. So there's 45 cards, one through nine. Depending on the number of players, you're going to remove some of those cards. So for example, we played three player, removed all the cards that were seven, eight, and nine. For this discussion, let's just keep it at five because the math's easy and everything. So you have 45 cards that are dealt out. And so that means everybody is going to get nine cards. In the middle of the table, there's this really nice board uh, that has four rows of the different suits. Suits are colors. There's red, blue, yellow, green. In this game, red is always considered trump. 
And on this board, there are little uh, insets uh, or little spots to place tokens numbered one through nine for each of the colors. So 45 spots on the board. Each of us are going to get these really nice acrylic tokens. Uh, this is called the Cat in the Box Deluxe Edition. So they have really nice acrylic tokens that each of us get in our own colors. First thing we do, and I like this, Tony, in, in trick-taking games, everybody takes a card and discards it out of the game. So we no longer have perfect knowledge. I think we tend to like games to where it's like uh, old Pasha, where you don't know exactly yes. what cards are still available. I know you can do that with, um, oh, shoot, the, the Bulls game, the Six Nymph. Yes. People like perfect knowledge in that. I, I, I do not play with perfect knowledge because it's just me. I think it's too easy to math out. Yeah. I like the unknown. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so everybody's going to throw out one card and then you're going to place a bid. Uh, each of you have little player cards in front of you. For five players, you will say, I'm either going to take one, two, or three tricks. The purpose of that is if you get the, your exact number of tricks, you'll get a couple, you'll get some bonus points at the end. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> then around your player card, you have each of the four colors. The top of the card is red. The right is blue. The bottom is green. The left is yellow. You take one of your player markers and put it in a little slot in each one of those colors, indicating all those colors are available for you to play. So when we begin the game, let's say I go first, I take a five, just a generic five. I put it down on the table and I declare this five is one of those four colors. Well, except Trump. And this was really cool, Tony, too. The people we played with all knew how to play trick-taking games. Mm -hmm. I immediately said, okay, you can't play Trump till it's broken. You understood that, meaning, okay, I can't play red till it's already been played. And if you have the if you have the suit, you must play it. And uh, once you're out of that suit, obviously, you can't play it anymore. So once you're explaining this, I'm like, okay, basic hearts rules. I understand that. So if I say, you say, I'm playing blue, and I like the little place where you show which card you're playing because there's no colors. You need to keep that indicated. Just throwing them in the middle does not work. Uh, what, do you, what do you mean blue? Oh, so you mean you take, like, let's say the blue five. And I, and I pick it, take a five and put it on the blue side of my card. Yes. Yeah, yeah. you got you got to do this. People were throwing, mm -hmm. don't be throwing cards in the middle when you get this game. It gets confusing. People forget, well, what did you play? But, oh, wait, since none of the cards have colors, I don't have blue. I pull that off. Boom! Blew my mind. Wait, what? How can wait, I? Wait, hold on. I know. You're jumping I, way I, too I know. Far I'm jumping. Ahead. It's just. Oh, <laughs> go okay, ahead. Keep on. keep explaining the rules. <laughs> All right. I play a card. I play a five. I put it beside the blue side of my board. I take one of my acrylic markers, go to the middle board, and put it in the five blue spot on the board, indicating that a five blue has been played in this round, meaning. Nobody else can play a blue five anymore. It comes to you. You go, well, I got a, I'm staring, I got a nine in my hand. Uh, I think I'm going to try to take this trick. You play the nine on your blue side, you take one of your acrylic markers, put it in the blue nine on the board to indicate you are currently winning this trick. Now, if we go around the table and everybody plays blue, the highest blue wins the trick. You take it and then that person plays the next card. Now we get to your frustration. Let's say we've played a few times. And Tony, you go, I've got the eight. The nine blue I see has already been played. So I'm going to play the eight. I'm going to call it blue. And it gets to me. And I look at my hand of cards. I still got a lot of cards. They're may, say the one, two, and three slots still open on the blue. I could say any one of those are blue if I want to. But I decide at that point. I don't have blue. I think I'm out of blue. I remove the little acrylic token from my board saying I no longer have blue. And then I take that one card, 
play it on the red part of my board and say, oh, I'm trumping it with a red one. And I take that trick from you. So that's not my frustration. I was fine with that. That is this beautiful oh. strategy of the game. You haven't gotten to my frustration. Oh, <laughs> I know what's coming. Okay. So the whole goal is you're going to keep playing cards until everybody only has one card left in their hand. Again, no perfect knowledge. I love it. So with every hand of cards that are dealt, two cards are not going to be played. And let's, let's remember the numbers again, everybody. There's five of every number but there can only be four colors. So if you, for some reason, end up with five sixes in your hand, there's only four sixes that can be played. So that means one six will never be able to be mm -hmm. played. So that, that's another good reason for discarding a card and not having to play a card at the end. Here's the part that frustrates Tony. It doesn't frustrate you? It causes tension. All right, here we go. I'm going to say what this is, and then I'll let Tony rant for as long as he wants to I'm rant. I'm not going to rant. <laughs> there is a situation to where as you're playing, especially towards the end of a round, where you have cards in your hand that can no longer be played, meaning, let's say that you have two fives left in your hand. The five blue is available on the board to be taken, but you declared earlier in the game that I'm out of blue. The other fives are taken. Somebody claimed those earlier which means that there's a five in your hand that you can no longer play. If it gets to you and you can't play a card, there's no space that you can declare a card to be played. You call paradox. When a paradox happens, that round immediately ends. Nobody takes the trick. You stop the game and you score right then and there. Tony, go. I just call BS what I'm calling. <laughs> so, um, so First thing I want to say, and which was probably one of the best parts of this, is we're playing our practice hand, and, <laughs> and, and we're getting to the end of it, and I'm like, hmm, I'm not going to be able to play all my cards. And, and so Marty looks at us and says, oh, by the way, I forgot a rule. <laughs> and starts explaining this paradox we're in. And then he starts explaining how it's negative points and how none of your points are going to count. And I'm like, this blows really so this is where the game is takes it from a standard trick taking simple laying out the tiles to an intense tiles, tiles. I, thought, I thought i said tiles did i not say tiles you did you okay. meant tiles okay so, yeah so yeah no i didn't mean tiles laying no what are the, the little uh the shoot the, tokens 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 thank yeah. you yeah so you, you put the tokens up it goes from taking tricks to a immense strategy game that you have to really think at the beginning of the game, how to play this out. Normal trick-taking games. For instance, in this round, I had all fours. I had four fours of the five. I'm like, okay, this is going to be bad if I keep these in my hand. Because Why? Some, because unless someone discards it, someone else is going to have that four. And the problem is they're not going to discard it because they're going to try to build on those little tokens on the board. They're going to try to build a pattern. Oh, we didn't even talk about that part yet. Yeah, no, we haven't. And you get yourself into a point where it's like, I am so used to, I after we were done, see, I'm speechless here. After we were done, I'm sitting there thinking, how can I play this game better? Because I sucked at playing this game. I didn't make any of my bids. 
I was always in paradox, paradox, and I'm like, what, what happened here? I am a very good card player, unless it's spades with Rob. Then I'm not a very good card player. I don't. I was, I was really frustrated by this because, you know how you know you're a good card player. I can play Hearts. I can play Opashaw. I can play all these games. I am in the wrong mindset here. I need to get out of trying to build these tokens, these runs that Marty will go over later. I need to think about how is it I'm going to get rid of my hand. I need to think, oh, wait, saying I don't have a certain color is okay. You want to do that. You This will help you later in the game. Say, hey, maybe I can get rid of it, especially if I only have one number and I know I'm not going to be impacted by it. There's a lot of strategy. Back to Marty to discuss this run thing I mentioned. So let's just talk about uh, the end of the round uh, after all the all after all the cards have been played. You're going to do scoring. Very simple. One point per trick you take. You'll get one point for each trick that you bid if you hit it exactly. So if I bid two and I make two, I get two points for the trick plus two bonus points for making my bid. If you call a paradox, you get minus one for every trick that you take. But here's the other interesting scoring aspect. As you put your tokens out on this board, remember I said it was a four by nine grid on the board. You will score one point for each of your tokens that are adjacent to each other. Adjacent by mean orthogonal. So you can build these little runs of adjacent tokens on the board as you play the game. And at the end, you'll score. So if I have like four in one row, like I have a four, five, six, seven green I would get four points for those in that little run. So an additional four points. And here's the thing. Bert did really well with that. Bert almost said, ah, forget about taking tricks. I'm going to try to make these strategic runs on the board and try to get points doing that. So then there's this all other twist of, I see Bert trying to make runs. Instead of me trying to take a trick, I'm going to try to break up his run so he can't score extra points. So yet another element of strategy that must be considered as you're playing a regular trick-taking game. I got to play this game better. I got to play it again. This is one of those that I think for normal card players is not a game for them. I'll be honest with you. There's two. Really? No! Come on! No! Normal card players will love this game. No, they won't. Normal. Why? Because, just like I said, they are used to the same paradigm. If you are a dead-on spades, hearts, rook, opashaw, pitch, keep going down the line, you're not going to want to sit there and add these elements of, okay, there's really no suits until you declare it. There's just too much. And I'm thinking about just normal card paper. Gin rummy, bridge. It will not work for them. I will, okay. I, will, I will fall on my sword for this. Okay. Would we agree that probably uh, almost 100% of the people that are listening to this show are gamers? So they may be more interested in it. So probably what you're saying is, if you think you're going to take this game home to your family that just sits there and plays spades all the time, this may blow their mind too much. It will be frustrating for them like it was for me. So buyer beware. Good luck with it. If let me put it to you like this. If your family enjoyed diamonds, you might be able to take them to the next level. Diamonds was a whole different concept. Yeah. It was simple trick taking, but the strategy was around the, taking the diamonds and the scoring with the diamonds. That pushed the realm in my family when I did it. They enjoyed it, but they were like, yeah, let's go back to whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Teaching a bi- bridge player how to do this. Holy, 
Woo. Yeah, I don't, I mean, nothing against them. They are set and they know how to bid. If you know how to bid and bridge, you are at another realm in card playing. Well, let's just say this then. I see what, totally what you're saying, but as board gamers, and I assume most people here are probably more into the hot, well, you wouldn't be listening to us unless you just want to hear us eat crickets or something like that. Yeah. This is a board gamer trick-taking game. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. I love this game. Like right now, if I was to do like my my top card games of the year, number one. If I was to do my top casual game of the year, I stinking love this game. I love trick-taking games so much. And this turns it so on its ear and makes it so unpredictable. And I'm telling y'all, as you're playing every round and you're staring at your hand thinking, I've got three cards left and I can't play any of them. Please, dear Lord, let somebody paradox before I do. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. if not, you are done. And that tension, as if you're going around the table one, hoping somebody else maybe paradoxes before you have to, or the just punch in the gut when it gets to you, it's like, that eh, round's over. I just caused a paradox. It's palatable, the tension that this game creates, just because of that aspect of the game. I'll let you have your tension. I will, ke- I will keep playing this and just. So I get better at it. Got what is it? Get good. Yes, <laughs> get good, noob. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Think outside of your normal car playing strategies. This yeah. is, this isn't about short suiting, setting up various runs. How do I? When do I want to take the lead? When do I want to get rid of the lead? Oh, good point. All this comes into play normal card games, but it gets flipped. When someone looks at you and says, oh, by the way, I no longer have green. Well, crap. <laughs> so now now I can play blue. Okay. This is a blue. Here's blue. Boom. Or worse, red. It may be a trick that you were planning on taking. It's like, yeah, I'm going to take that trick instead. See, that's just it. I don't think there's any time where you cannot take a trick. Because at any time, you can... Co- Say, I'm out of that color for Trump, but you got to be very careful with it. Yeah, because then all of a sudden you can't play that color anymore. And if there's still a lot of slots available on that row to play numbers, none of those are available to you anymore. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, when you're playing, you're sitting there, okay, we're going to lead with green here. This is green. And all of a sudden you're sitting there, I'm going to make a run of a bunch of greens. And then suddenly everybody else, oh, yeah, I'm going to play green. I'm going to play green, which is something I was not paying attention to. Who was declaring what they didn't have? I was concentrating mm-hmm. on my cards and my strategy. You've got to look across. You've got to actually read their boards. Because if I had seen, oh, wait, he doesn't. He said he doesn't have that, then I know I am safe to be playing that color. There is one nitpick for the game for me, and I just, got, I just need to bring this up, is the card quality is not that great. I, I was fine with that. I admit I'm used to better um, cotton linen call, cards. Oh, here's the problem. I'll throw this out, and you know what I mean. 1971 tops. Yes. 1971 Topps baseball cards were black bordered and it shows wear extremely well. These are black cards. And even after I've played this game probably six times, the corners are starting to wear. And I played a lot of Origins where I didn't have any sleeves. If you get this game, sleeve it early. All the other components are super, super nice. But for me, I wish the card stock was a little bit better. So I do recommend sleeving these cards. I'm not sleeving that because you can't um, rifle, riffle, shuffle them. You can riffle, shuffle, sleeved. Especially with only 45 cards. Yeah, but then if you don't turn it the right way, you stick it inside one of the sleeves and then you rip the sleeves and you got You need to play more Commander. Oh, whatever. No. (laughs) See, I thought you were going to talk about the colors. Oh, go ahead. What about the colors? Uh, Two colors are very close. What do you mean? 
Uh, oh, you mean two colors of tokens? Tokens, sorry. Player tokens, Yeah, because yes. we've already yes. f- established that there is no color on the cards. So the player tokens, some of them yeah. are kind of similar. They are different shapes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you, you do have to kind of look at close at, wait a minute, is that pink or is that reddish or is that light yellow? So uh, Minor minor knit, especially, but for old people who don't see very well small tokens, yeah, it's an issue. All right, so for me, this is a must-buy. If you're like trick-taking games, this was only $30. It's coming out at Gen Con. They just happened to ship some early to Origins and get it out there. This is staying in my collection. Tony, if you want your own, you can get your own. But, I am. but you say it may not work for your family. So here's the thing. Certain people it will work for. The reason why it will be in mine is because anything that frustrates me and something I know I do very well in, I have to get better at. I have to get good. Certain people will enjoy this game. So take a look at your game collection. And if you see like mine, you've got all these card games. Just go ahead and add it to it. I love cards. Me too. Which is why I give it the highest recommendation here on Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Cat in the Box from Bezier Games coming out August, September timeframe. Five minute initiative begins in three, two, one. We got a copy of of a game that I have only played in a video game. So now I've got a physical copy called Orlog from Hache. Hache. Who, who gave it to you? So O'Shea. we've been saying it totally wrong. and say, I've been saying Hatchet. Hatchet. So at Origins, I met with them and, and I was quickly corrected and had to pay $5 for its O'Shea. O'Shea. Or O'Shea, yeah. O'Shea. It's not O'Shea as in an Irish thing. It's a French. She said some people said that some people were pronouncing it Hachetti. Hachetti. <laughs> <laughs> I did not do that. <laughs> All right. So we're, what we're talking about, Assassin's Creed, Valhalla, Orlog, the dice, Orlog dice game, not the dice game. Don't add the in there. So I've been playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla on my PlayStation 5 for over 170 hours. It's ridiculous. And I have played Orlog so that I can get all the various gods that give you the things. Now, this game, straight at the box, it's a two-player game. You're basically trying to defeat the other person. They have 15 life. And based on how the dice roll up, you're either going to hit them with arrows, you're going to hit them in the head with a hatchet. They can defend with shields, or they can wear a helmet so the hatchet deflects. Or they can gain God favor, which lets you spend your God powers. And certain God powers do damage. Some heal, some manipulate dice. First one to defeat the other person is the winner. Fast playing, two-player game. Pretty much what the video game does. Took it to lunch. Marty and I sat down, played. What'd you think? I liked it. It's, it's, it's one of those common, you know... Uh, you get like three rolls, right? So you roll the dice, pick what you want to keep, mm-hmm. can roll again, pick what you want to get, keep, then do a third roll, but you have to keep everything after that. Right. And whoever's uh, second can kind of see, it's like, well, I need to make sure to block that arrow, block that hatchet. Oh, they've got new helmets. So I feel I can get some hatchets. I can do some damage. I think one of the ones you can steal. Mm-hmm. And then the, the the God cards are really cool because there's uh, randomized, right? You only get a certain number of gods per game, which adds uh, unique abilities that you do over the course of the game. Right. I think there's 20 in the game or something like that. I don't mm-hmm. remember, but yeah, you're, you're, you're stealing their favor to activate them. But if, if you're not careful, the priority of when those certain God powers activate, if I steal enough favor, 
then you said, I'm going to use this God favor at this value. It oh. won't activate. So you have to be very careful. And that is something that when you're playing the physical game, you need to remember that when you say I'm designating this God favor at this power, you can't just say, Oh, I'm going to use Thor. You got to say what level he is. So from a standpoint of the, the game, it's very much like the video game. I know in the video game, they had a problem with it. The AI was always getting beat because all you had to do was constantly gain God favor. That's why the human interaction, it was just fun. I, I wasn't trying to beat a computer who cheats. And I try not to cheat. Actually, I'm not smart enough to cheat. So yeah, you have a much better chance uh, uh, to win against me. Look, it's a light game. And I think it's one of those that if you play the video game, I think there's a little bit of charm to it being able to play it in the real world. You can set it up, play this game 10 minutes, 15 minutes at the yeah. most. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like a little quick filler. If you just want to do something at the beginning of game night before everybody gets there and the production's really nice. I really like the two little bowls that you roll the dice in. The dice are really uh, uh, nice and everything like that. So it's a, it's great production. It's a nice little push your luck dice game where it's doing combat against each other, essentially, and try to take away each other's life. I do wish the God tokens had been a little bit thicker, maybe on the mm. cardboard. Nice box insert. Some stores are trying to sell this thing for $60. I, what? So be, be careful. GameStop had it for $60. they are trying to go off the name. I'm sure there's some licensing and all this. No, 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 no. Fun game, especially if you're a fan of Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Actually, Tony, I just looked it up. On the Ubisoft store, it's on sale for $39.99. So on the official website, you can get it for $40. Uh, you might be able to find it online for a little bit cheaper than that. But yeah, don't spend over $40 for this game. Five-minute initiative is complete. has decided that they want to bring a game to the USA. You heard Ignacy talk about it. If you want me to talk about the designers and try to get their names, oh man, Katrazan. I, Marty, I'm sorry. Don't even try it. Uh, a couple really good designers. Some made great, game. yeah, from, from Grana. <laughs> if you want and you want to hear how it's pronounced, go back and listen to Ignacy on our last show. He was right there. So Gutenberg. For those of you who don't know who Gutenberg is. Not Steve is, Gutenberg. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> you, police Academy references don't come to your head. So how many were there? 40 of those? Yeah, about 40 and like one cocoon. So I had completely forgotten about Gutenberg. Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> Gutenberg. Oh, printing. Press. Yep. He basically allowed the masses to be able to read. He brought education to the peasants. Gutenberg was the man. All right. It wasn't an easy task to do it. It wasn't easy to go printing, but your job in this game is to bring printing to the masses. You're trying to fulfill orders for your patrons. And as you complete these orders, you will gain fame as being one of the best book binders in all of Europe. And mm. how do you know how much fame you got? There's these numbers on the board uh -huh. that you're moving a token around. Uh -huh. and, at, and at the end of the game, whoever has the most whose token is the father's along this track <laughs> is the winner. That is Gutenberg for you. Easy game to teach. Easy game to teach. A lot of teaching videos out there. Go full tilt. Just put it all out there as far as don't try to say for beginners. Everybody's got this. You will have this. Yeah, so here's the thing. I, uh, I had the game, so I punched it, got it all ready to go. There's some really nice little 
cardboard boxes in there for storing components. And I was worried I was going to have to put those boxes together, fold them and everything, but they're already pre-folded. So I love that the typesets are like little wooden letters. You can actually use them. Ignacio said it. You can use them. Yeah, A, I, O, and U uh, are the letters. I totally forgot to read the rules or watch the video. I, I just, next day I just forgot. So I got to McAllister's and I started opening up the rule book and I went, okay, action selection mechanism. This is really cool. I like this. And then you walked in and he said, well, what do you need to know? And I said, well, Tony, I just need to know what each of the actions are. And like in five minutes, you just walked down. Well, you're going to do this for this action, this for this. And you went down through all five actions. I went, I think I've got this. I think the toughest thing, Tony, was the uh, symbology, the iconography. Always in a game. Always in a game. Yeah. And that's just first playthrough. But what's really nice is everybody has player shields and all that is clearly marked on those player shields indicating uh, what this symbol means and how this particular symbol works on this card, etc. So the actual flow of the game is super simple. And I think uh, Ignacy actually teased that, didn't he? He said, this is one of those games you sit down, you jump into, and then you're off and running. And I agree. Completely agree. I mean, just because it's simple doesn't mean that the strategy is simple. Right. The simplest thing you do can change strategy and can have ramifications. Sequence of play of this game without going too deep in the rules. First thing, there's no income phase. I, I know, shocker. <laughs> so, so this is a running joke now at our game group because of the that one horrible time. If it, was it Arnak? Uh, no. What was no, that? No. Oh, yeah. At the no Ten Penny Parks. Ten Penny Parks. That I forgot to mention, by the way, you get money at the beginning of every turn, <laughs> which makes for a really tough game when you don't have enough money. Uh, but anyway, yeah. It's a paradox. Some- it's a paradox, yeah. dude. It's- uh, so first thing, turn gears. Your, 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 your press has gears in it. So you got to turn your gears on your turn. Then you're going to plan your moves as to what you want to do so that you can go to the action selection board. Then you're going to execute your plans, like take orders. Then you're going to take some inks. You're going to develop your specialties. Like, are you really a good binder? Do you know how to do it? Have an illustrator on staff. You're going to improve your printing houses, which is making better equipment. You're getting more gears. Oh, what about some patronage? You've, you've met certain requirements. So this, this is simply an in-game scoring mechanism, by the way. You're going to fulfill some orders. Hey, I got the books done. They're printed. I'm going to ship them out to the masses and rinse and repeat. That's the game. For how many rounds? Six. Six rounds. Six rounds. Yeah. Probably one of the mechanics that Marty and I enjoy the most about this because he kept saying this. Yep. Was plan. Yes. This, you know, every Euro now is when we play, it's like, okay, how is this different from every other Euro? We make the joke, or Tony makes the joke all the time. What's this Euro about? Well, get some resources, turn them in, get victory points, person most victory points. So what's something that's different? And to me, Tony, I believe it's this planning phase to where you secretly decide what of those five actions that you're going to take next turn and how important are they to you to where hopefully you could possibly do that action first because going first in action gives you first choice of options that are on the game board. Yes. And you and if you don't take a put a cube in a action, then guess what? You don't get to do that. If I want to do an action early, if I want to get ink at a very good rate, at a very good um 
price, then I need to put a lot of stuff in there. Oh, wait, I need to go to get the patronage to make score, make sure I get that particular patronage. I need to go there. Oh, there's a good gear that I want. Now, two things from that planning that I, th- I think is very important, Marty. First off, for me, I liked as we went around, the first player has less cubes to use than the last player. For the four-player game, the first mm-hmm. player had seven cubes to allocate on their planning board for each of the five actions, and the fourth player had 10. Well, the round ends, you pass the start marker, and everybody gives up a cube who is now the last player. They now have 10. I don't know why, but for some odd reason, that just dawned on me as, this is genius. I don't know why. <laughs> it is. It's very. It's not like you re-divvy up. Now, you're supposed to have seven. You're supposed to have eight. It just works out. The new last player gets one cube from everybody, and mathematically, it just works out. I was like, well, I wonder how long that took him to think of this. And so what you're doing is, is during this planning phase, I mentioned that player shield earlier. You've got this initiative board that you're secretly placing these cubes, and you allocate a certain number of cubes per action. So first player's only got seven cubes to allocate. So they got to look through those five actions, decide which ones they want to take and how important it is to them. And if it is important, they'll put more cubes in there. After everybody's done that, everybody removes their shield. And then you start at the top of that um, planning board, which is take orders. Whoever has the most cubes allocated to takes orders gets first. If there is a tie... The you go in player order, starting with the player, the first player. We've got it planned. Life is good. We reveal. You yell at one. You yell at one another. Call each other idiots for taking your turn. (laughs) Especially towards the end of the game, where that patronage thing, the last action, Mm -hmm. is where you can kind of claim some in-game victory conditions or victory points, and. You've allocated four cubes and you look and somebody, oh, Mark, you allocated five, you jerk. And then he may take the one that you wanted. You never get the the chance to get it. So yeah, that to me is the shining part of the entire game is that whole planning phase. And one of the things I thought was nice was the fact that even if you were outdone and you were the last, you may not get what you want, but you get something, you know, instead of having some games where, oh man, I'm the last person, you don't get anything and like Mm -hmm. it. Well, you don't right. like it, but you, you're forced to like it. All right. So now we take, now we go over, we execute our plans. One of the first things we do is we, we take some order. All right. The key to this is this is where you're only allowed four orders in the game. You can easily replace them if you take more than that. But taking orders, here's where the strategy, I think, for, the, for this part is, Marty. When you yeah. take orders, you decide what book you want to print. So you have certain characters that you're going to need to have in your shop. And those will allow you to fulfill the order. Mm -hmm. Then there are specialties as part of that order that if you fulfill those, you will gain additional benefits. You never have to do the specialties, but you always have to print the book. Imagine that. You actually have to print something to get rewarded for that. So during that take orders phase, you have four orders to choose from. And the specialties you're referring to are called refinements. And you pick one order and one refinement and pair them together. And so let's say, for example, I need A, O, and U to fulfill this order. And you pair another a refinement with it that says, oh, by the way, when you fulfill this order, if you happen to use gray and red ink, you'll get four extra points. Oh, by the way, if your typeset happens to be at level three, we'll give you a couple extra points. And if you do both, you get like a little extra bonus. 
So your goal is when you fulfill an order is to try to fulfill as many of those refinements as you can because you get a bunch of extra, typically uh, extra money or some extra points uh, that you can use. So what is important about going first here? So for me, it was, as I look at the orders, what do I need to print? These only need me to fill out two letters to print this book. I need an A and an I. All right, that's good. I'm not going to get that much money for doing that. That's a simple order. But over in the refinement, oh, look, if my specialties are at four and three in these levels, I'm going to get a lot of fame or I'm going to get another order or I'm going to get ink. So it's easy to fulfill the order. I don't need that much typeset, but man, if I bring up my specialties, I'm going to get a lot of bonus. And I think that's where going first there really helps you out. You don't, you don't have an order sitting there becoming stale. You're able to move through things pretty darn quick. So that's the importance of going first there. So you need to put them together. Once they're locked together, then that order is as is. You can't shift the refinements and the orders around. Yep. Next one's very simple. Uh, take inks. And what I like about this, Tony, is the board is laid out so you resolve from top to bottom. So the top of the board has the orders. The next has the inks. And there are 12 inks that are put out there um, in groups of three. And you can only buy from one group. The first ink is free. The next one costs one. The next one costs two. You could buy one, two, or three if you want. And uh, they they randomly came out with different colors. When you pull them out of a bag, there's red, blue, yellow, gray. You want to go first here, Tony, uh, because if there's a refinement that requires a certain color, and there's not many of that color sitting on the board right now, you want to go as early as you can for the paint to grab the colors that you need so you can fulfill, fulfill that order with the colors needed to get those extra bonuses. So ink is all about how did they come out of the bag and which ones do I need to get to fulfill orders or do patronage later? Yeah. Developing specialties is the next thing. These are where you are dealing with typesetting, wood cutting, which is setting your typefaces. You know, you got to chisel out the wood to get your various A's and I's and O's and U's. Binding a book. And of course, you've got illuminating. I call, I call I'm sorry, I called it illustrating. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. So here you're taking cards that allow you to advance your various specialties up a notch. You, the cards have two of them. You may need to get your typesetting up two levels to, in order to fulfill a refinement on an order. However, if you take a card and you're the last person and neither one of them benefits you or you really don't want this, those two, then you may say, I'm not going to use this and I'm just going to advance one of my specialties one. I don't get to do two. I get to do one. That is how you're advancing. Every turn, if you put something in your plan, you will be able to advance your specialties. A lot of planning goes in here. You may want to advance just two specialties and then pick orders that only use those refinements. But you got to look mm -hmm. at the patronage. All this is tying together. You see this, Marty? You see how all this is coming together? I do. I will say that the specialties are generic. They're very generic in like what they do. Like typesetting doesn't give you anything or wood cutting doesn't give you anything. What it does is it unlocks the potential to earn points from refinements and patronage, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, so it's not like you need to understand, wait a minute, what, what does moving up a wood cutting, wood cutting give me in the course of the game? Just the ability to possibly fulfill orders better and get some more bonuses and stuff. So yeah, that one's very straightforward. As, as your levels go up in your refinements, if you get to the, you are moving something across that says, okay, you've reached level two, you get an ink, you've reached level, uh, four, you get more ink level five, you get a free order in level, uh, six. Oh, look, you get a typeface. 
Oh, and also you do get stuff because uh, the higher you move up on each of you those, they're in-game, they're in-game victory points. So there is value to moving up on all those aside from refinements, just getting in-game scoring, which I think you killed us on, man. Oh, damn, Tony killed us, but we'll get to that in a second. Tony, you did so good in this game. All right, improved printing houses, which is probably what the coolest looking part is, right? You get yeah. some gears that you could put on your board. You could put three gears on your board. Each gear is segmented into three sectors. And your board will indicate, hey, when your sector is in this section, you can take some sort of ability on this gear. And as you put the three gears together, there's three gears that you could have that each have an ability that you might can use during the course of your turn. And then we talked about at the beginning of the round, you rotate the top gear clockwise a third of a turn or one sector, which will rotate the two gears below it. <laughs> this was so funny. <laughs> I was waiting for this. I, I, I forgot this too. So let's just talk about uh, the people that are sitting at the table. All pretty, very smart people. Three of us are engineers. Bert, <laughs> after he gets a couple of gears in place, turns his top gear uh, <laughs> clockwise and he goes, whole oh, crap. I forgot the gear connected to it turns counterclockwise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he was thinking that they're all going to turn the same direction. But hey, to be fair, Tony, uh, both of you and I had to take a couple mechanical engineering courses in school. I take statics and dyna- dynamics. Mm-hmm. Did they ever cover gears? Do you ever do remember gear physics? No, but in, I think it was second grade they covered how a clock turns. <laughs> Yeah. So, and it's funny, Ignacia reached out to us. She said, so did any of y'all forget that the gears will alternate the direction they turn when you spin it? And I went, yes, we did. (laughs) But we quickly learned after that. And this is why I was going, this is where AP is going to come in this game. Yeah. As when you take a gear and you're sitting there, okay, it's going to spin because you got to fill the gears top to bottom. You're improving your printing house with these gears. So you're sitting there thinking, okay, it's going to turn which way this way. Okay. When I turn this, because one of these gears and you and I both had them was one that you get victory, you gain fame based on the round number. So you're sitting there calculating. You're all like looking at me like, what are you doing? I'm saying, hold on. I'm counting through how many times this gear is going to turn to make sure that it appears in round six. So I get the most victory points for it. Mm. So this is where AP will set in for some people, okay, myself included, but let's just say there's gears out there and you're happy with your machine and you don't need to improve it. You don't have to take a gear. You can take a gear and do maintenance on your machine and pick one gear up and set it to whatever you want. Mm. Now, Marty, what is so, can you just always do these actions on these gears? Can, Can you take them as many times as you want during the round? No, most of them are just a one-time only thing. And you have these little markers and you can take it any time during the round. I'm going to mention something else you can do any time during the round too. You can take it any time during the round and have those little markers to cover that gear to remind you that you've done it. The other thing that you can do anytime during a, a round up until fulfillment is buy letters. Uh, at any time you could just mm-hmm. start buying, there's a whole pool of letters, A, I, O, and U. And you're going to always spend one more gilder than the number of letters you have. So if I have five letters and I need to buy a sixth, I pay six and I, and I take another one and you'll be constantly swapping out, changing letters in order to fulfill orders. Because Tony, the goal is to try to fulfill multiple orders in one round. Yes. But you can only use the typefaces once that they get more expensive over time. So you got to factor that in. So, so once again, that's where taking the orders is important. 
The very last one is pretty simple. We talked about the patronage. There are these cards at the bottom where if you meet the requirements of a certain card and it's to at the current or to the left of the current round marker, you can claim it. Now, early in the game, that's not going to happen, but there's other things you can do besides claim a patronage card. You can either take one order, advance one specialty by one level, take three guilders, which is money, or take two inks randomly from the bag. But the kicker here, Tony, is the reason why you want to be first is, let's say I, I'm first and I take an order. I put one of my color cubes on the take an order slot on that section of the board. And if you're second, that means that option is not available to you. So once an action is taken in the patronage action from somebody else, nobody else can take it. Just plan accordingly. When you fill out the patronage and you're able to claim the special orders, it's about your specialties or turning in inks, which we almost screwed up. Um, so you got to turn in ink. So that's one of those in-game scorings. You get eight points at the end. So the more you take, the better off you are. And definitely in the last round, everybody is fighting for those cards because they don't go off the board. If someone doesn't take them in round three or round four, it's not like they get wiped. They can be claimed later, but guess what? People are already claiming them because they've built it up and they've planned ahead. I never felt like at any time I was being punished for not doing something or I never had the chance, Marty, in this game. Yep. So orders... Simple, you, you fulfill your orders, you use typeface to, to set the books, you determine if you've met the refinements, get your money, get your fame, get your, all your uh, other rewards from doing this. You may not fulfill an order and reset those typeface. You got to go clean them off so they can't print another book right away. So you can only use A and I in this order and you can't take it and use it for another order. So you have to plan accordingly. So having like five, four orders with a whole bunch of A's is not a good strategy. That's a bad <laughs> right. strategy. <laughs> right. But, but your, your machines may give you the ability to swap in and out typefaces. So that's something you can plan for. At the very end, you basically reset the board, put out some more orders, some more refinements, uh, put out some more inks, put out some more gears, and then you play through six rounds. And at the very end of the game, you're going to count up points. You get one point for every three guilders. We didn't mention there are uh, characters that you can play. And we did play this, Tony, and I really like this, which everybody has special abilities, which all of us took advantage of. And the special abilities are really, really good in this game. I do recommend playing with the special mm -hmm. abilities because it will make you feel different every time that you play. Yeah, this is not one of those, if this is your first game, don't use them. No, this is your first game, use them. They're not, yeah. and, and they're not like they're mind-numbing capabilities. Mm -hmm. I mean, swap some specialties here and there or mine were set them at the first. You had the ability to declare this ink wild, which makes no sense to me, but okay, fine, whatever. Yeah, um, well, it didn't matter because once this game was over, Tony, you did amazing in this game you blew us away dude blind squirrel can find an acorn every once in a while man i'm just telling you i no, i think it came down to the orders that gave looking for ref, the refinements getting the refinements so i could get the victory points i you know i got 10 points one time for my gears lining up for the round i had two gears that would do that mm -hmm. you'll figure out your strategy as you're going through the game i just got lucky I, i'm uh I'm, I'm serious. Blind squirrel, man. Blind squirrel. So what do you think about this game overall, man? This is one of those games. Mark mentioned it, uh, that it reminded him of Fresco. Ah, yeah. And my family loves Fresco. I really enjoyed this from the standpoint of just how simple it was. I don't see a lot of AP in this game other than dealing with your gears. 
The the well, uh, the only time I felt AP is uh, during the planning phase. Some of those planning phases mm-hmm. took a while, right? Yeah. As you get towards the end of the game, you kind of start filling out your strategy. You look at the board and go, man, I really need that gear or I need that patronage or shoot, I really need that color ink because there's not many on the board. That got kind of stressful. I do like that tension. I do love that tension of when everybody pulls their shields so that you can see where you get to go in the turn order for each action. And we were out, made a joke as we were discussing. I said, okay, this is how long it's going to take us to play. 20 minutes the first round, 15 minutes each round after that. And we pretty much hit that. Yeah. We, we were on mark on our times and it wasn't the resolution. It was, it was a lot of our time took in the planning. How do I want to do this? Who's going to do what? And what do I need to do to make sure I gain what I need to complete orders? I also never felt the stress of having to complete an order every round. Which is weird because I felt like I had to in order okay. to gain victory point. To, to me, I did. Early on, sure, that was tough. I mean, you didn't have enough money or enough letters in order probably to do more than one order. And I always felt I hated to going into a round without any orders because it's like, crap, I, then I definitely got to put some some cubes towards the initiative to get my first choice of orders so I could try to fulfill one order. Again, with a good Euro, there's a lot of way to score points. It's just coming up with your strategy of what's the best way. But to me, what makes this game stand out by far is the whole planning section. Uh, that whole initiative and the resolution of how those actions resolve. <laughs> the resolution of how those actions resolve. That's really, that's really good. But hey, we get it on a t-shirt, man. And then of course there is a single player game that you can discover on your own where the more points you score, the better you're, you can become a guild master. And, yeah. yeah. And how long did it take us? You know I mean, a little over 90 minutes? Yeah, about 90 minutes. I was teach, learn, roll it out. Everybody had watched video. Well, almost everybody watched the video. See, that's the beauty of this. Uh, you don't have to. Uh, somebody asked me, how good is the rule book? I think Excellent. this was a good rule book, don't you? Excellent. I never had an issue where I had to look up something and it wasn't easily found. I read through it once and pretty much understood it. Yeah, I think probably, and this is the thing with all rule books, and I will complain about this until you and I stop doing this. When there are key facts or key things you need to do, don't bury them in a paragraph. Stop that. Do you, do you have an example? Like I'm, I'm looking it up now as far as the patronage. Patronage section, a patronage card may only be taken if it is a space below or to the left. If a player uses ink to take the patronage cards, the player must be put the identical. We used bullets at the beginning. Why did we suddenly become a long rounding paragraph? You're, he's referencing the sentence that says, if a player uses ink to take patronage, the player must put the ink back into the bag. Similar fulfilling an order. We did miss that sentence. But we missed it, but Mark remembered it. And, yes. so, and so we were we all had to deal with it. And you were like, I don't know if I did that last time. We didn't have to worry about it. But anyway, I see what you're saying. So you wish that had been more highlighted? Yeah, but that's a net. I mean, or better, a patronage can only be taken if bullet, bullet, bullet. Yeah. I mean, we're, you, we're talking about typefacing here. We're talking about <laughs> printing and binding. How hard is this? What... I use bullets. I may use bullets way too much in documents. I bet I do. I, no, I like bullets because a bullet is like a list and I like lists. Mm-hmm. Well, that's our And it's that's very, our. E- very easy to read. So anyway, yeah, uh, this was a big hit at Essen last year. I'm glad Portal brought it over here. Uh, thematically, I think it, it, there's, you know, we've talked about before how sometimes the theme on a Euro is very dry. It doesn't make any sense. I think this will make sense. It has nice components. The only component I wasn't crazy about was the ink. 
Yes. Uh, the ink was little, very small pieces of cardboard. And y'all, I can't count the number of times Tony dropped ink on oh, the floor that was, night. It was oh. so funny. My big old sausage fingers trying to get in that stupid bag, pulling out ink. <laughs> oh, it was, oh, it was sad. It was so sad. I wish those had been wooden tokens or acrylic or thicker cardboard because they were kind of hard uh, to pick up. That is a nitpick, uh, but everything else is really nice. Like I said, they got the nice little storage cardboard boxes for storing all your components. The insert's nice. The graphic is nice. The wooden letters are super, super nice. So I'm sitting here, miniature market, the game sells for 70. It's listed at 50 with the Father's Day sale that ends, unfortunately, after the show drops. So um, hopefully go check it out over at Miniature Market and we're good to go with, I, I enjoyed it. I did too. I did too. And uh, I look forward to playing it again. I, I look forward to uh, Ignacy handpicking these games to bring over to the US. Uh, the next one is Brazil, which I am super excited about, which you talked about on our last episode, which you can go and listen to, see what he said there, but it's called a Euro X, which is a combination of a Euro game and a Forex game. So I cannot wait to see how that plays, but Man, if he keeps bringing quality games like this over to the U.S., that just is really going to increase uh, Portal's library over here, and, and that's good for everybody. Well, if you headed over to miniaturemarket.com and Gutenberg was <laughs> sold out, you can go over to portalgamesus.com and order it up. That's right. You heard us talk about it on the show. You heard our review of it. You heard whether we liked it or we didn't. What we would have changed or what we didn't like. One of the things that I really liked is it was 60 to 120 minutes. Hey, and I love stunning components. And according to Ignacy, this game's got it. So be sure to head over to portalgamesus.com and check out Gutenberg. If you need to pick it up there, check out some of their apps. You've got some of their classics. Robinson, Detective, 50's First Day, Batman, Everybody Lies one of the detective games that I really enjoyed playing. Be sure to check it out over at portalgamesus.com. Tony, you and I love two-player card games. And there's two that uh, we got recently that we wanted to kind of talk about, compare, contrast. One of those is actually Radlands, which won the Golden Geek for the best two-player board game uh, from last year. Now, this is a game from Roxley Games, and the designer is Daniel Pichnik. And I, after they had won, I reached out to Roxley. And I said, hey, we love car games. We'd love to cover this. They said, well, we'd love for you to talk about it. So they sent us a copy. And I will say, Tony, right off the bat, this is, this is pretty cool in that, you know, a lot of card games is like, oh, knocking each other's life down to zero. But in this one, each of you have three camps that's uh, in your tableau or your playing area that you're trying to protect. And you could do that by playing units in front of those camps up to two units per camp to protect it. Because when somebody attacks, they must get through those units before they can do any damage to the camp. The goal of the game is to knock out two of your opponent's camps and then they win the game. So I like the concept of that. I've always liked, you know, zone warfare or like area, kind of like in... Uh, Oh, I don't know, like Warcry or even or mm -hmm. even Netrunner. It's almost like you've got these servers back there and you're trying to protect them with ice. Here you've got camps and you're trying to protect them with units. That's exactly what I thought about when we first started. When you started explaining this game to me was Netrunner or Warcry where you have the two layers. And I was like, okay, is this going to be one of those where it's a constant uh, beatdown of trying to get through those individuals, trying to, you know, how is this going to take forever for us to play? Uh, no, because there are some cards that can bypass it. And mm -hmm. 
I think one of the very unique, I always say unique too much, very one of the interesting concepts is that you may have a card in your hand and you discard it to get that, I don't want to call it resource, but you know, you, you get that, that result from it. Yeah. So each card has like a junk ability where on your turn, you can discard a card and, and activate it. Maybe it's restore a card, draw mm-hmm. a card, maybe just deal an instant damage. And uh, because you're playing from a shared deck, so you don't build your own deck. Uh, you come in, you just, uh, you draw a card at the beginning of your turn. And Tony also liked the resource management. Yeah. So at the start of your turn, you draw a card and then you're going to collect three water discs. The water disc are basically your resources that you use to put cards into play. There's event cards that you can play. Oh, this is really cool. The event card, right? I like the off to the side, you have this event uh, queue that when you put a card in play, it can either have a value of one, two, or three. And the further it is down in the queue, it takes a couple turns for it to resolve because at the beginning of the turn, you're going to shift all your event cards up one. Once it gets to the top, it actually pops. I like that because if you play something, I can kind of predict and see that it's coming, uh, et cetera, like that. So there's the event queue that's really cool. Plus, or you just pay to put units into play that may have special abilities. But it all comes from this limited resource, this limited uh, water resource, which you only get three of. But you can maybe jump cards to get an additional water. You can get put, get the water silo into your hand that in the future you can discard for an extra water. So are, there are some clever ways to get more than three water at your turn, but you can't carry it over. Anything you don't use, you lose. The only issue I had when we were playing this was I was getting frustrated with some of the verbiage because I, I couldn't get it out of my head, Marty, that you I always felt like you had to go through those forces, that you couldn't bypass them. No. And once I got over that, I was okay. You know, I was getting, I was actually getting kind of grumpy with this game. I'm like, how can he do this? This makes no sense to me. I don't understand why it is that his card can bypass my defenses. What was the whole purpose of me building up these defenses? <laughs> but it took a special ability to do that. It comes down once again to mechanics. How, what are the mechanics that you're having to work for? What's the best defense? You know, obviously it's the best. You know, what's the best defense is a good offense or is it the best off? Anyway, Radlands. I look forward to playing it. This is another one of those, like we talked about with Orlog, where we put it on the table and we're done in a, in a matter of, you know, minutes, especially the way I play games. Yeah, I also like it too, that you don't have to track damage. So if mm-hmm. you damage a unit, uh, you rotate it uh, 90 degrees. If it takes another damage, it's it's gone. Or if you use its ability, you rotate it 90 degrees, which then leaves you, you know, in the player's next turn, all it takes is one hit to get rid of it. There are punk cards that you can put into play which basically are like uh uh just basically cannon fodder they take one damage they're automatically gone so over the course of the game you're trying to make sure you protect your camps to the best of your ability your camps may have special abilities uh because there's a bunch of different camps that you could possibly put into play so there's a lot of synergy you can create between your camps and between your units again you're all pulling from the same deck but uh those limited resources that you have is what makes it so constraining. It's like, man, what, what's the best thing to do this turn? How can I get the most out of this turn? And uh, to make sure to protect my camps as best as possible. Uh, meanwhile, trying to chip through your opponent's defenses and take out two of them. I mean, I could see why this was such a hit because there's a mm-hmm. lot of variability in the game. Big stack of cards you can play. A lot of different unit uh, camps that you can put into, uh, into play. There have all these type of different events that you can use to queue up and use. You could build some sweet combos and everything. And again, it's not just a simple knock your life uh, opponent's life down to zero. 
So I think to like Star Wars, Hero Realms, those kind of games, right? So here's another one along those genre, but here you really got to manage the resources. It's not, it's yeah. not just play cards. Oh, good gosh. I got uh, Assassin's Creed on my mind here, you know, versus Ascension, you know, once again, not trying to knock out a permanent, but you've got to be able to manage that resource. And that's what separates that from all these other two player type of games that being a deck builder, but that you need to be able to manage those resources. And I think that's where you win and lose the game. How, how do you, when do you junk a card? When do you go after somebody? Do I hold on to it? Because if I junk this card, I get special, but I lose out on this other ability. Hard choices. Speaking of resources, the other game to compare it against. Editor Marty here. Before this next segment even gets started, I need to make a correction before somebody claims $5. For this entire review, I said a word incorrectly. I said Sakura. It's pronounced Sakura. And there was just too many Sakuras to fix. So whenever you hear Sakura, think Sakura. Is from Level 99 Games. They just recently got the rights to Sakura Arms, which came out years ago from AEG. Uh, it's, a, it's a Japanese game. And it uh, basically uh, has a bunch of different really cool manga style art on the cards. You're playing as goddesses. But now, Tony... This is totally different than Radlands because the secure arms, the goal is to knock your opponent's life down to zero. But what's really interesting to this is that you have a limited pool of resources called Secura Leaves. You have this really nice board that you put in play uh, between you. And you have this distance marker that you set at the board at the beginning of the game. Each one of the distances gets one of the little wooden Secura uh, leaves that's used to mark how far you are away from your opponent. You also have secure leaves to indicate how much life you have, 10 life. You have secure leaves that also indicate your aura, uh, which is like a shield almost to protect you from damage. And you can also use, uh, the secure leaves can also go into your flare, which is used to potentially activate some ultimate cards. Now, Tony, what's cool about this, this has a little bit of deck building, right? So mm -hmm. there's three different boxes that came out. Each comes with six uh, goddesses. You take two of the goddesses and you merge them together. And it has a really nice chart on the back if you're merging. Here's how we recommend you merge. But you can deck build yourself. You pick seven regular cards and three ultimates. The three ultimates are off to the side ready to play at any time. And your deck is basically only seven cards and that's it. Again, you're going to use these cards for maybe attacks or events in order to get to your opponent. But what I love, Tony, is the different type of actions you can take on your turn. And when you uh, take an action, you have to discard a card to take an action or spend vigor. At the beginning of your turn, you gain one vigor, you can have up to two. So anytime you do anything, discard a card or spend a vigor. But what the, some of the things you can do is decrease your distance. This is what I think is really cool. You move one of those Sakura leaves from the distance trail or the distance track and move it to your aura. So that's how you charge your aura. Or you can focus if you want to get some secure leaves into your flare section, which is used to activate your ultimates, move a secure leave from your aura over to your flare. Anytime you take damage uh, in your aura, you're going to remove, you're going to move Secure leaves to your flare. Any type you take damage to your life, it's going to move to what's called the shadow. But the thing is, it's a fixed number of leaves in play every single game. 
So for me, this game is about the distance ah, and wanting to pull those resources so that I can maintain that distance or I need to bring you closer and then I need to retreat. Meanwhile, you might have a deck that's about getting in my face and smashing me. And I need to be very careful with that. I like how I'm sitting there with these leaves, trying to move them and manipulate them and determine what I want to do with them because I've got a shield I need to maintain. I need to maintain the ability to retreat. All that limited pool is very important and it doesn't replenish. So I have to resource management. It really comes down to resource management and the variability with all the cards and being able to do the decks. Hey, I may play with the two same goddesses, but I swap who has what in it, right? Yep. You you told me, go pick these cards, go pick that. The goddess I played, I needed to chain abilities. Okay, that sounds pretty cool, pretty easy. Well, I need to make sure they're in the right area. This game is another fast-playing game. Get it set up, let's get it, let's go. And to be honest with you, I didn't feel like I had a lot of text to understand and read. You know how sometimes we'll get in these card games and they'll start using these terms and I'm just like, really? Why can't you just say discard deck? Why can't you just say draw pile? Mm-hmm. So I was, I was very happy with that. I, you're, you're right about the goddesses being totally different. Uh, one of the ones I played one time basically had this umbrella. And when the umbrella is open, she does a lot more damage. But then she has certain abilities when the umbrella is closed. So there's this action you could take to open and close this umbrella. And you actually have a card to show whether it's open or closed. I didn't mention one of the actions you talk about retreat. Like you said, uh, some of these attack cards, they have ranges. This only works from range two to six, or let's say let's say four to six. And let's say that I am within range three of you. One of my actions could be retreat, which means move a leaf from my aura back to the distance to increase my distance so then I can play my attack card. When I play an attack card, you have the chance to react. And then after that, you're going to take damage. You choose whether to take damage to your aura or to your life. If you have no uh, leaves left in your aura, it all must come from your life. And from what I saw, Tony, from the goddesses we played, there's no way to gain life. No. Once you lose 10 life, game is over. You can recharge your aura, and but you can never recharge your life from what we saw. And that's a good thing. Yep. You don't want these games to go on. Just like Radlands, you didn't want it to keep going and going and going. It's It makes it boring back and forth. I'm not in there. to. to uh, it's an easy, simple game. Don't make it lay, lay on the table forever. Let's, yep. let's, let's play it and let's go. So one thing I also thought was cool too is you have these enchantments that you can put on the uh, the board. Usually it's from activating uh, with Secure that's on, in the shadow or maybe the, the flare that goes onto the card. And at the beginning of both person's turn, everybody must remove one leaf from all enchantments in play. And when all the leaves are off an enchantment, it goes away so you don't get an ability. But like I remember, remember I said there's only seven cards in the deck? At the beginning of your turn, you need to be able to draw two cards. If there's no more cards in your deck, you have to reshuffle and create a new draw pile. For every card you draw after reshuffle, you take one damage. But if you feel like, oh crap, I need to reshuffle because I'm going to have to draw two cards. Uh, I don't want to take two damage. Or there's a really sweet card in your discard pile. You could take one damage to then reshuffle and then draw. So, Tony, the game is built on a timer. Every time you have to reshuffle your deck, you will take a damage, which I also like that internal clock too. 
which is going to take us back to where I talked about uh, the Hitler's right game. Mm-hmm. Reshuffling is the timer. Ah, a mechanism you like. I like that mechanism as well. I'm not having to track it. Oh, when do we advance here? This is how we advance. This is, this is a countdown mechanism. Yes. Enjoy that. The one thing I was thinking about with this game was I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I, if you don't have the resource in the right area, you can really mess up. So you really have to be planning ahead based on what that other player's got out there. Where is he in resources? And I, I like that balance. You can mess yourself up. Yeah. Well, it's also like too that you have a little bit of control. If you want to charge up some flair to get ultimate, you can always take a focus action. Uh, you can control your distance, but remember for every action you take, you either have to discard a card. And I remind you, there's only seven cards in the deck mm-hmm. or spend a vigor. So you don't want to discard a lot of cards to take actions because that just means you'll have to reshuffle sooner and take a damage. Uh, you know what? I, for me, Tony, personally, between the two, I think I prefer Secura Arms. The art's amazing. I, I love the anime style art. I love being able to create my own combo decks. The limited resources, the closed resources, basically, of the Secura leaves and how they shift around and are used for shields or distance or life or activating cards. I like that. And the very small deck that creates the built-in timer that deals you damage over time. So for me, between the two, I totally get it. Radlands, fantastic two-player game. I understand why it won. But I would love for this year for the best two-player game for Secure Arms to be considered because I think it's it's solid. And like I said, there's three boxes. There's three starter boxes. So there's 18 goddesses in all that you can check out. Yes. Enjoyed this as much. I would rather play this over um, Radlands. Not like you, not saying that Rylands is a terrible game. It was nope. just something about the countdown mechanism, the f- constant pressure that I felt of playing this game and being it saying, man, I've really got to do a good job here or I'm doomed. So that is Radlands from Roxley Games, Golden Geek winner, well-deserved, totally different style of game to where you're trying to protect camps. And then there's secure arms with this closed uh, economy, limited number of resources that are used in various different ways, but you're just trying to knock each other's life down to zero. Both have different themes. One's a post-apocalyptic with some really cool post-apocalyptic art, and you've got the more uh, manga style, or some people say anime style, but you know what I mean, the very colorful Japanese art, which I think looks really good, uh, a theme over there. So both solid games. Maybe through this review, you can hear which one you think you might be interested in more and go check it out. Or, hey, just go pick up both because to be honest with you, they're different enough to where both could sit in your collection. Back in our Ultra Pro spot, we mentioned a bunch of cool things are coming out for the commander that you can get over an Ultra Pro, but it's like, wait a minute. I need to use those storage facilities for something. What should it be? Well, maybe it's the brand new Magic the Gathering Commander Legions Battle for Boulder's Gate Commander decks. <gasps> That's a long word. I, Tony, I've been excited about these. I love the Boulder's Gate theme. Uh, the four Commander decks are now out, and it's a brand new arrival on Miniature Market. Actually, you can get, Tony, all four of them for 150 bucks, which is a good price when you divide by four. It's a little bit cheaper than what you'll find at MSRP. 
thing is though, Tony, of those four, I have no idea which ones I'd want to play. I know you don't like Commander. I totally get that. You get frustrated with it. But some of these are really some real cool mechanics, and I'm not the one that's just going to sit there and build decks. I'd rather just take these pre-cons, sit with friends every month or so, and just play it and enjoy it. So, yes, if you're looking for Magic the Gathering products, Miniature Market has it, but not only that. So many other things, and there's new things coming out every week. Make sure to check back every single day because i'll have new arrivals listed on the front page it will kind of tailor to things that you like subscribe to their newsletter so you can stay up with everything and in fact a uh, big banner right now on the page for gutenberg a game that we cover in this show so if you like the re our review of it and you think you're interested head over to miniaturemarket.com It would not be a Rolling Dice and Taking Names podcast if we didn't go somewhere in the video game arena. Now, Marty, I'm, yes. I, I have not been watching a lot. I know there's been some, there's supposedly some PlayStation announcements coming out. And that, that already happened. Did I miss anything? No. Oh, well, here's the thing. It depends. Are you more of an action gamer type person like an Assassin's Creed or God of War? Or are you more of a JRPG? Because if you're more of the JRPG, then you probably really enjoyed it because the new Final Fantasy was announced. I, I like them both. I mean, you Oh, know, you do? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I like them both. I wish I had more time to play. I wish I would... Um, well, you've spent 170 hours, dude. But I've only played one game. So you've got time to play. It's just you're playing one game. Oh, uh, Resident Evil 4 remake, which I am all over. Resident Evil 4 on the GameCube was amazing. So I want to see how it is. Uh, Street Fighter 6. I know you don't have any interest in that, but there was a lot of big buzz over that. And of course, uh, there was some VR stuff that's coming out. But the big one, I think by far, was uh, Final Fantasy 16. And it's going back to fantasy theme, which I'm excited about. So I, I played Street Fighter on my NES or my Super Super NES, my mm -hmm. SNES. I played that and tried to hit the buttons. I wasn't good at it by any means, but I am excited. I did see all this talk about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, yeah. Wait, you're into that style of game? The beat em up side scrollers? No, but I love the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Ah, well, then you got to pick it up. So is it Shredder's Revenge or something like Shredder's that? Shredder's Revenge. I do know one that went on sale. So I need to not go on YouTube and watch the things that are on sale. Because the Hot Wheels racing game is on sale for the Nintendo. And I heard it's, it was good. Yeah. $30 design my own Hot Wheels track. You want to talk about Take Me Back. <laughs> That is really cool. Uh, let's see what else. Summerfest was also last week. Uh, I think probably the big thing that people probably get into, they showed a trailer for Diablo 4. Mm. The Blizzard now isn't the Blizzard of old, so it looks cool, but I need to see more about it. I mean, typically I would be an insta-buy for me, Diablo 4, and it probably still will be, but I'm curious to see what they're doing with that. But there wasn't much other than that on that I was interested in. Still no Nintendo Direct. I've heard of rumor the end of June, so we'll see. But uh, that's kind of the next one I'm waiting on. I'm just watching all the Nintendo sales that are that keep popping up. There was something um, I saw. Uh, Suzanne tweeted out something about a Dicey Dungeon that's on sale for the Switch. That's fun. Dicey Dungeon's good. I've got it. Okay, so I need to. I, it's not like I don't have my five dollar Nintendo ten dollar gift card that I keep buying every week or every yep. month. So I I need to. I'll get that. Get that one played. 
I see. I need to get back to the Switch and play a lot of those games that I have on there. Yeah. I don't. Dice, Dicey Dungeon is uh, basically like a roguelike. Yeah, it's it's cool, dude. It's one of those that you'll sit there and play and just enjoy. It's uh, worth doing. I think it's one of the sad things is the reason why I don't want to sit there and look like an old man with my readers. <laughs> you know, I it's, I got to get over that. I, I, sh- I shared a uh, picture on the. Um, Discord channel of I got new monitors at work. I put in a request for new 27 inch monitors. And the reason for the justification was eye strain. I'm like, oh, this is so embarrassing. You know, having to sit there because, you know, they talk about the blue and it was like easy ice. And I was like, oh man, why am I so old? I need to be, beats the alternative, I guess. I uh, yeah. Yeah, it is. I'd rather wear glasses than not need to wear glasses because I don't can't see. Anyway, <laughs> so we need to get out of here because we have been having all kinds of technical difficulties with my internet today, and I am tired of it. We are going to keep rolling dice and taking names. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. Remember, check out our Discord channel. Support us over at buymemoonpie.com. Still got a lot of tickets left for Gen Con. Come join us there. Follow us on Twitter, Dyson Names. Instagram, Dyson Names. And uh, there'll be a show in two more weeks, I guess. I think that's how we do this. My, I'm going to lose my... In, I'm going on my phone. Okay? Uh, this is why I wish we could record face-to-face. Face-to-face.